You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. Basically, buying property now, like you, you kind of have to get ninja with it <laughs> a little bit. Like it's not just here is my money, my credit is eight hundred, but、mm-hmm. where is your income? You thought you、right. were being smart by buying something on layaway because you're not paying interest for a year. However, it was a large purchase and it's still considered debt, whether or not you have to pay interest. Financially, sure, it looks good. But from your mortgage perspective, that's a bad move. So the market has changed drastically. So much, so much.、What? Like things that developers are putting in, like as part of the agreements,、um, the features of the properties. Now, honestly, if they had put that in 2015, they wouldn't have sold a single unit. Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why. I'm really excited to be here with you all today. I have Mutiat Bello with me on the show. How are you? Hi Naomi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for finally like having me on your podcast. I've been stalking you for a little bit, so <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. You are absolutely killing it. You are helping so many people. You are sharing your knowledge online, and so for the audience, Mutiat is a real estate wealth strategist. And soon to be private lender and developer, she's doing the work、um, with the purpose of understanding what longevity looks like in this space. Whether it's you know having choice and ownership of your time, being able to pass down wealth to your children, family members.、Um, you're also a mother, and you love to travel, and you're on this mission to help you know other people understand how to take advantage of different pathways to real estate wealth, right? And so.、Yeah. Currently, you have one course on the market. It's called "How to Select a Pre-Construction," and you essentially walk through walk people through understanding their finances all the way to like getting ready to to put down a down payment on a place. And so, thank you so much for being here. I'd love for you to get us started with talking a little bit about your origin story and how you even got to your first property. It's a really interesting story. <laughs> Yeah, entirely by accident and happenstance. Honestly,、um, so I wasn't even living in Canada at the time. So my parents migrated when I was sixteen with me, of course. This was about what two thousand, and then you know, in between there, after undergrad, after masters, I'm like, Canada is so cold. I'm over it. So I went back home to Nigeria. I was working in government, and my mom told me if real estate. Actually, I should backtrack. Both of my parents are in real estate, right? They're both.、Mm-hmm. Um, and、uh, my mom told me, if property ownership is your goal at all, like at all at all in this lifetime, you need to get into property right now. So I gave him a little bit of coins I had saved up, and she bought. How old were you? Sorry, how old were you? Oh my God, no, no, I wasn't one of those. Oh, she bought her first property before she turned fifteen. No, it wasn't one of those. <laughs> like twenty, I was probably like twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Yeah, like、okay. right on the brink of turning thirty. You know, just wealth wasn't necessarily a. Part of my goals, which is probably one of the、um, downsides of having grown up privileged, you just always assume it's going to be there.、Mm. It's got its pros and cons, but、um, anyway, yeah. So money and wealth, none of that. I just thought, well, owning property is sort of a marker of of,、uh, of adulting, isn't it? So let me try and get into it. And so I just gave her my money, and she bought a pre-construction for me、uh, as a power of attorney while I was in Nigeria.、Uh, so I had an account here, and so I just you know cut the checks. And、um, yeah, that was it, really. And it was 2015. It was 384,000. It was a thousand square foot condo in、uh, Bronte and Dundas, 
basically looks like Toronto. Milton at the moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, in the GTA, in the greater Toronto area. But in those weird outside pockets that's in between different um, neighborhoods, it was in between Milton, Burlington, and Oakville. And um, it's probably farmland <laughs> around the time. And uh, yeah, fast forward to now. So between 2015 and uh, this is what, early 2022, mm -hmm. it's probably north of 7070, of 770, sorry, in terms of value, 770,000. So I've already that pulled that equity out of it. That first property, I've already pulled that yeah. equity out of it, uh, bought others. And um, now I'm just trying to figure out how to create a proper development company from this and all of that is just literally from that first property that i bought totally by accident but it was a good decision and it looks like it's uh already giving me equity and dividends and all of the things that we want <laughs> right and i feel like through that story and over you know the number of years between well this past seven years a lot of different learning opportunities have, you know, come on your path, things that you've sought out, things that happened, you say by accident, but I don't really think it's by accident. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about pre-constructions? Because pre-constructions yeah. are your realm. This is what you focus yeah. on. This is what you talk about yeah. online. How, what was your entry point into pre-constructions and how, and then we'll get into the whole development side of things that you're thinking sure, about. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So that property was a pre-construction and I bought it with a combination of like four different elements. And this is what, again, I like about pre-constructions, especially because already in 2015, and I was earning decent salary when I was working at Scotiabank at the time. Um, I think I'd already crossed like, probably crossed the 70s, closer to 80s already, but and even then, it was already going to be difficult to buy property on my own. And then couple on top of that, the fact that I wasn't even in the country, right? right. But I was still able to take a position in the real estate market in Canada. And um, I bought it using, uh, well, this is the beginning of the story. So I had a pot of money, probably about 10000 So I used that to put the initial deposit on the property. And then we had the deposit checks. And then it was a really, really simple milestone structure, which means that the monthly payments that I had to make were so spread out that it was easy for me, or rather the milestone payments I had to make were so spread out that it was easy for me to sort of save towards it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I used my first time home buyer in there as well. I used that towards the end though, as the closing. So that's basically when you take money out of your RRSP as a first time okay. home buyer. So pro tip, you can also use that. It doesn't only have to be for resale properties, which means properties already in the market. You can use it as well for pre-constructions. And yeah, and then I was probably like struggling a little bit. I think my dad gave me like, you know, 20,000 or something. But for the most part, most of the down payment, the 20% I had, you know, come up with on my own by some way, somehow. Um, and that's kind of what I mean by, by accident in that I didn't necessarily have an awareness throughout the process, which it probably could have been easier. I probably could have done more simultaneously if I had an awareness throughout the process. So that's kind of what I want to help people get away from. The fact that, A, you don't have to struggle in the regular market if it's difficult for mm. you. Um, yeah. And B, while you're selecting a property, I mean, again, I was lucky. My mom helped me select the property, but right. a lot of people don't necessarily have parents who are savvy either in finances or in real estate that can help them select a property. So that's what the course is all about in terms of what are the different criteria. Also, the market has changed drastically. So much, so much. What? Like things that developers are putting in, like as part of the agreements, um, the features of the properties now, Honestly, if they had put that in 2015, they wouldn't have sold a single unit. <laughs> but now, that's now just what it is. 
very competitive. And I'm wondering before we move into because, you know, I'd really love to spend time on what's happening in the market now. So maybe yeah. we can we can do that um, maybe midway through the episode. Sure. But when you say, you know, you had, you know, you obviously had two parents who were in the space who were very experienced. What were some of the things that you weren't necessarily prepared for during those early days that you would maybe say to someone today, and I know the environment has changed, but what, what were some of those early things that you would have changed, if anything? We really have to get away from budgeting as just uh, how do I get my finances tighter? With real estate specifically, you have to focus on the 80-20 rule. If you're just fixing your budget to increase how much you can save, that's just 20% of the story. The largest chunk of the story is how do your finances look to a lender, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. pre-construction or being able to actually buy a property immediately right now. If a lender doesn't like your overall finances beyond just credit score, if you spent all this time paying off certain debt and that wasn't the debt that they cared about, I'm sorry. Wonderful for you for doing all of those, but it doesn't get you into being able to buy a property, right? With regards to specifically uh, pre-constructions, it's important as well to know what your milestone structure is and then understand how much you have saved relative to how long you have to go. So this is what I mean by that. I typically tell people that, sure, you want to get a pre-construction, but what you have saved right now, how far along in your milestone payments mm -hmm. is it going to you? If it only gets to you, you know, 3% of the way because you have to pay a lot of it, like it's front loaded, then that's not the right property for you. But because you just thought pre-construction, they're all painted the same, then you can get into a default situation. Then you have a really bad taste in your mouth in possibly the fail safe way you were expecting to get into the market. So just mm -hmm. those kinds of things of, you know, preparing properly, focusing on disposable income, not just, you know, how much you've saved and uh, basically buying property now, like you, kind of have to get ninja with it <laughs> a little bit like it's not just here is my money my credit is 800 but mm -hmm. where is your income you thought you right. were being smart by buying something on layaway because you're not paying interest for a year however it was a large purchase and it's still considered debt whether or not you have to pay interest financially sure it looks good but from your mortgage perspective that's a bad move right so just those kinds of things are important to be aware of mm -hmm. i talked a lot sorry <laughs> no, no, no. This is all really great. And I actually was not planning on sharing this, but my entry point as well was because of my parents and yeah. really them encouraging me. And it actually, I signed my, I signed the contract, like the closing um, documents the week before the pandemic started in, oh. in Ottawa, Canada. So it was like, right everything shut down the, the week after I was like, I had all the furniture in that I had ordered. And then it seems like it's just been an auto, the Ottawa market specifically has soared. Um, That's over the, the Toronto man. That's the Toronto man. They came and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. A lot of people, Sorry, guys. Lot of people <laughs> exited their, 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 their spots. Cause obviously they're like homes. What is the average home price in Toronto? Are they well, so average home prices now in Toronto have definitely crossed the $1 million mark. And they're not even for these lavish, you know, super interesting, super unique properties. Just, you know, your bread and butter townhouse that, you know, you were maybe expecting to move into as your second property. Like yeah. that's what it is now. And um, 
unfortunately, like that's that's literally just what the market is saying. Even some condos, like I gave the example of my condo, a thousand square foot condo, which I don't think they even build thousand square foot condos anymore. That's definitely approaching eight hundred thousand, right? And this is what I tell first time home buyers all the time, where you can take cues from the government. So last year, the government increased two things with regards to first-time home buyer. Now, if your income is up to $150,000, you can be considered part of the first-time home buyer. Before, it was only about one twenty, So they've increased it, meaning that you now need more money. Secondly, yeah. they increased the price of the property or the value of the property that's eligible for first-time home buyer to $750,000. So what that's trying oh, to really? tell you... Yes. Whereas before, I think your property couldn't cross around the 700,000 mark. So the fact that these numbers are increasing is a signal to you that what it takes to become a first time home buyer has now gone up, right. which now begs the question, have all the other factors of your finances seen or experienced the same kind of increase? Right. So, and I think the 750 number is more important for first time home buyers more so than the 1 million, because anyway, like that was already going to be second, third property, you know, range. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I thanks for sharing that. And another thing that I found really interesting to your start in this space also was um, having a mentor and starting in this space with someone, you know, outside of your your parents, who really also showed you the ropes as well. So can you talk a little bit about your search for knowledge, your search for finding someone who is established was building something reputable, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly. And I think that it is really important to always seek beyond, honestly, your family. And sometimes that rubs people the wrong way when I say it, but it's really because like you, you come from that. And I'm not saying you've necessarily tapped into all of the knowledge that's in that or to discard it, but to understand that, you know, at some point it becomes like diminishing marginal returns, right? Like there's only so much you can keep getting from the same pool of people. You have to keep like just, you know, putting your fans out there. And I say that as somebody who definitely leans more to the introverted side and networking was never my strong suit. <laughs> I remember in MBA, whenever we would do that, I just be like, mm, I'm just going to be in the back while y'all do your small, small talk. I just, is not my thing. But um, it's still though the important of, I don't want to say curating good friendship circles, but definitely been discerning who's around you. So I found my mentor um, through a friend of mine who have known for about 10 years. And, uh, you know, she just said to me, I had a webinar when I was first starting out and she said, honestly, everything you're saying, I know you're a realtor and you sell property and all of that, but everything that you're saying is leaning definitely towards a more investment and development mm. type of things. And I know a realtor who's just now making that transition as well. And oh, so cool. um, yeah, so that's how I found her. And I remember I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm just going to stalk you, but in the best way possible. And just like, tell me whatever you need and um, everything from Excel to just whatever it is that you need. And I was working nine to five at the time in government, but I knew that I wanted to leave eventually. So it was just important for me to start just putting those chips together. I didn't have a date of when that was going to be, but Mm -hmm. I knew that this was the next step. So how do I start to figure out what that might look like? And that's how that happened. Would you say that was like a crucial aspect of, of getting into the space was aligning yourself with someone? A hundred percent. Honestly, within three months of meeting her, literally every single one of what like goals of mine of what I thought was possible. Like, it was like everything I was thinking is like, 
rung one of the whole ladder. Wow. Like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna. It's like, no, that's like the barest minimum. And it was important to get that perspective shift and, um, or shattering actually, like she literally actually just shattered everything for me. And it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was good because, you know, it's, it's, this is what I say, like, you know, shoot for the moon, land in the stars or whatever is higher. Shoot for the highest one. You, you know, you may land one level below, but that's still much farther uh, from your starting point. And yeah, it was, it is everything. Like I still tap into her. Now it's not so like close daily, daily anymore. But now that I've spent all this time around her, around her network, which she was super gracious and open about, um, I've just seen what is possible. And it's somewhere embedded. And as I'm just trying to figure out what my path might look like, I told her the other, you know, yesterday, even I was like, I swear, I hear your voice in my head. (laughs) (laughs) This is why your circle is so important. And it's something that you mentioned at the beginning. And I think too, for a lot of people, if you're not around those who are speaking those types of words or having those types of beliefs or those thoughts, then it's, I find really difficult for you to even think that that's something that's possible for your life or something that you can create, right? I Um, 100% agree. Maybe something tangible for the audience in terms of like how they can apply that to their own life. Um, What was it, do you think about you that made her want to open up her network and actually teach you? Because Mm. um, not everyone can just say, hey, I want to stalk you. Like you have to be someone that is, you know, worth investing, right? (laughs) Like she saw something in you, Mujet, to want to say, I want to, I want to pour into her. I want to, I want to help her grow and, and all of these other things, right? Yeah, I I think it's a combination of, I've actually never asked her this, but if I'm just now, as you're asking this, reflecting on some of the conversations that we've had, I think it's a combination of different things. I think from the jump, the one thing that bothers me like my biggest pet peeve in other people and my biggest fear of mine is being in a space and never adding value like I don't even want to utter the sentence that somebody else said I would rather not say a word if it's not bringing something new out right Mm -hmm. and this isn't a matter of perfection but like I like to be a value like period so I I think that it, it may be it may be by the time I've done the thing it may not be as much value as I assumed, but I think she was able to see that I do want to help. Um, yeah. I do want to be of value. It's it's more like, let me just do something for you. And in the doing of the thing, perhaps I will get what I need from it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely very proud, but I, it's also a conscious thing of mine to be humble. I, I can't tell you I'm always great at it. However, because you know, if you try to come at me left, you're going to know, but... <laughs> But, but I, you know, I try to, I just try to be easy. And I think that maybe she saw that. And like I said, just trying to bring value and trying to be useful, man. And I think everybody needs somebody to be useful at whatever level it is. <laughs> so that's, I think we yeah. can, I'm just kidding. I think we can end it here. Be useful, <laughs> be useful. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's more than just saying, Hey, what do you need help with? It's like, right. Oh, I see opportunities in your business. Have you thought about doing X, Y, Z? And like, kind of going doing doing the research and coming up with 100%. connections on your own and these people are super busy like Mutia's yes. busy so if you approach her yes. come with something right <laughs> no no I 100% agree and I think it was little things like 
oh, what you're doing right now. Like, I remember we were trying to go through, you know, her numbers for putting together um, a financial proposal. And I said, listen, this thing is everywhere. Just let's download it. And I was literally doing data entry. Like, I still had my 9 to 5 then. Uh, I still had my son. And I'd be, like, up at, like, you know, 1, 2 a.m., a, it's interesting for me. You know, I, I like numbers. I also know that this thing would give me some kind of insight into her business and the spending right. patterns and knowing that I want to build a business as well. How do I just prepare for the kinds of operations that I need to have? So, mm-hmm. and, and I think really with every job that I've had, I've never really been an employee per se. Like I've always, of course, earned a salary, but it was always that I'm Mutiat Inc., and whatever I'm doing here, like, you're not hiring me. Rather, I'm getting insights into your business, right? And then I'm seeing what I want to take and put towards mine, which now that I think about it, I was probably always an entrepreneur and it just hit me. I didn't <laughs> about myself as an entrepreneur, but I just thought myself as a really great employee. And I think it was just some of that of, and again, it wasn't like I was expecting payment. I didn't really lead with that conversation because the bigger pie was understanding how to make this work in the real life if I was going to pursue something like this. Right. Yeah. And you've had that, it, honestly, the way that you described it and that story that you shared, you had that mindset to, to come in and see yourself as a business. Right. And so that kind of translates to you being able to build, you know, the, the company that and the companies that you're building. Yeah. And so I'm wondering pre-constructions, like looking into buying your first place, what does your research process typically look like? MLS crawls, all of that. Yeah, sure. So, so the MLS crawls is almost like in two phases. I do that when I'm trying to support somebody who is in, who is, uh, I, I do that as the realtor, right? I do that to support them. So I can answer from both ends. I do the MLS crawl really just to understand what is the current value of properties in that neighborhood, right? And then I use that to benchmark whatever I'm seeing in the price list in the pre-construction, right? So if, um, you know, if you're telling me on pre-construction that, one bedroom condo you want to charge 500,000 in this particular neighborhood but that's the price of a whole three bedroom freehold house the math ain't mathing right so that already tells me that that is not the right um kind of property right so that's where the mls crawls come in also understanding potentially what the rental uh i suppose revenue could be right um cash flow there's always Exactly. Right. So there's always going to be some kind of projecting. There's always going to be, you know, looking at understanding what the growth rates have been in that particular neighborhood. So I can advise clients, you know, who are looking to use pre-constructions to stack wealth because pre-constructions are great for first time home buyers, but for people who already have some equity as well, or want to even use their parents' equity as their means to getting into property. These are all questions they want to know, you know, the answers to, to know that, the 100K they're giving you, the 50K they're giving you, you're putting it in a property that's going to also experience growth and that is not overpriced. Mm. So, yeah. So from the perspective of the first time home buyer or, you know, the owner of the equity who's now looking to buy the pre-construction, there's quite a lot of um, selection criteria, um, <laughs> which is, is really quite a, exhaustive. It could be anything from five to like 23. Like I literally sat down one day and I said, intuitively when i go through it i probably go through about 23 different kinds of questions that i ask myself like mm-hmm. that will help me decide usually by the time i'm like a third of the way i know whether or not it's a good property but you know let's say you're comparing from one property to the other you know you just keep going down to refine 
your um, your your search exactly your search and your decision and so it, of course usually the first thing is what do the milestone payments look like right relative to what you have price is one thing but if it's if it's a seven hundred thousand condo and it really is worth seven hundred thousand but they're asking for twenty percent in the first eighteen months and you can't afford that. The property isn't overpriced. It's a great property. It's just, it does not match your finances. So mm -hmm. aside from price and value, you know, I also really, really focus on um, the disposable income and making sure that you'll be able to meet those milestone obligations. So I think that's usually the first step to just even sift out all of it. <laughs> what are they expecting? When are they expecting it? Based on what I have now and my rate of saving, can I get into it? And usually you can probably you know, cut out like 95% of the options by that question alone. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know, cause you brought up risk and like what people's risk tolerances or their threshold. And so, um, I, I'm curious to know what was yours when you were first starting off and like, what is it now personally as you like, don't talk on behalf of clients right now. No, 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 of course. So See, I'm a, I don't know if I'm necessarily the best example, but you know, there's always growth in every situation. My risk tolerance in general as a person is, I think, kind of high. I would say medium to high. But here's the thing, though. Medium to high as other people perceive it. My background is in economics, and I have an MBA, and I've worked in risk management. So I understand risk as a thing. Like as, mm -hmm. as a thing itself, like as a tangible entity, like what is risk, right? Um, so I'm not generally afraid of something. I think that half of what people term risk is fear. Yeah. Right? Like before, yeah. before we even get into, you know, the return and outcomes and probabilities and percentages of any specific decision, right. half of the thing is fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that if, if and that's kind of why my Instagram looks the way it looks. That's why... When I talk, I try to take it almost nerdily philosophical a little bit to almost like break whatever is in your mind first about the thing before we even start to talk about what is in front of us. So yeah, and, and risk is, is an easy thing to, to figure out. You just need to arm yourself with more knowledge and awareness. And I think that actually ties back to even what you said about who you surround yourself with and the terms, like even the literal words that they say. And I, this is not yeah. about mindset coaching or anything like that, but in development, especially economic development, there's something called absorptive capacity, where the mm. more you surround yourself with something, there is almost like a rate of absorption of what you hear and what you see into your body <laughs> and into your mind and things like that. And it just starts to get more and more familiar. Once right. it's familiar, then we can sit and we can say, this is risky, this is not. And I think that, you know, with real estate wealth, <laughs> with real estate wealth is really critical to starting to close that equity gap because half the time we just haven't been around you know using your equity in your property you're not taking on more debt you're being strategic with financing right so just just that terminology change alone i think removes whatever feelings of angst and fear people have yeah and the key part for me as you said that was arming yourself with knowledge and I think that de-risks a lot of things, right? There's this real estate person online who you probably know. His name is Jay Morrison. Have you heard okay. of him? No, I Have do not. Have you heard of Jay? Jay is fascinating. And okay. um, I definitely 
think that once you see his content, you'll probably know who he is. But he was doing an interview and he had this thing where he talked about cash not being king. Like cash is not king. 100%. And then he talks about his process, like how he looks at cash. So the, the five steps, create cash, keep cash, grow cash, protect cash, pass on cash. So like real estate planning, like wills and all of that. And Mm so I'm wondering in terms of how you see wealth building and kind of like in your intro, I talked a little bit about like owning your time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's always loud in this place, always loud in the city, how you think about wealth transfer, how you think about building wealth and just like having time to, go on vacation and use, use time the way that you want to. And, you know, yeah. bring four and a half year old son with you as well. And you guys are traveling the world. Like all of these things yeah. are important. And I think when people talk about different forms of investing, not just in real estate, it's like, what is your bigger picture? What are you working towards? And then working backwards from there. So can you talk a little bit about your, your philosophy on wealth building and like what you're really yeah. trying to do. And it's, it's actually, you know, as you were saying, like so many like words and keywords were literally flashing in my mind. I'm like, okay, remember to say that, remember to say that because really for me, the idea of wealth is very whole picture. Um, well, so especially, especially if we even now take it back to, you know, this concept of the even origin story. Like I, I mentioned earlier that, I got into real estate and the whole wealth thing by accident, right? Quote, unquote. And it's really because money and just having a lot of savings and having a lot of things was honestly never a goal of mine until the moment I became a parent. Then it started to become like more in my mind. But then where it turned to, oh, that's what we need. Okay, we out here. Is when um, George Floyd, Summer, rest in, in peace. And um, also the finding of the indigenous children just compounded that. So that whole bracket of time was like, okay. For me, the wealth that I have seen and experienced has been so crazily abundant because I didn't grow up in Canada. I grew up in Nigeria, right? And I'm a migrant, not in a typical way of somebody who was seeking out anything right i was you know what i mean like we weren't we were we probably would be far richer (laughs) if we're in nigeria than here but the reason why my parents moved here was for a certain kind of peace of mind not to Mm -hmm. you know stack and so that was like sort of the beginnings of my understanding of wealth and then having a child and coming here it's like I moved through the world as a Nigerian immigrant that has seen so many beautiful things, so many different kinds of countries, right? Um, That I don't know if the average Black person or the average migrant necessarily has had that experience here. And then when George Floyd happened and the finding of the children, it's like I kept seeing those things from the lens first of a Nigerian migrant. Then I looked at my son one day and I'm like, but wait, you're Canadian. I'm an immigrant. They can kick me out. You, they can't, right? So he has to move through the world with that same sense of having a huge security blanket. Unfortunately, in Canada, that comes through real estate, 100%. And so it now became a goal of mine, like how can we create assets, not for cash, but as 
something that can continue to print cash whenever we need. It will be very crass, but I literally sat and I'm like, I have two brothers who are also, well, one of them was born here and my son. If God forbid at any moment in time, anything happened and it had to go like build them out of something, where am I going to get this money from? I have to be able to literally borrow money against my house. Because again, I also do not believe cash is king. And I do not believe in just holding cash for any reason at all. Yeah. Right. So I have to have something to borrow against. Right. So I have a really large line of credit, not because I ever use it, but that's like my VEX money. If shit was really about to pop off, ooh, I cussed, my bad. There is something that I can borrow against knowing that I have an asset that is growing in equity. If for whatever reason I needed to pull money out of it, it's there. And it was really that thinking that just freed me and like, or rather released me (laughs) into, okay, let's get serious now. Let's get smart. How much do you have in this asset? How can you use to multiply? Um, And really, why are you doing this? Are there ways that you can bring others in the community along? Because what I also realized is that I was the only Black person in all my classes. I was the only Black person basically in MBA. Later on, there were two or three more Black people who were also Nigerian. I mean, it's really ridiculous. And it's just like, it's just so small and tiny and siloed. I don't enjoy that. I would hate for my son who is four now, whenever he's doing whatever he's doing, if he goes to school or decides not to go to school, I would hate for him to be the only black person as well in 30 years. Like, what does that even mean? Right. You know, so those are like the real important markers of equity and wealth and breath. Exactly. Wealth to me is breath. If you are the only one that occupies that space and you always are the token, then honestly, you're still poor because if it really came down to it, who has your back? So that's how I, that's how I look at it. Not to get all Harriet Tubman about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, it's a lot, but these are things. I really like, these are the things that you're thinking about. These are the things that I'm thinking about as well. And because I don't want to work for the rest of my life. I actually don't. (laughs) But there's also this. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. For me, I didn't I didn't grow up in like a wealthy household, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like the way that my parents raised me was very much from a perspective of here are the things that I didn't know when I was your age. Even if you start five years earlier than, you know, what the typical or the average person does, like, Mm -hmm. because of that time, you are so much better off. A lot of those, like, habits and principles and things, if you are able to build them really early, if not, like, today is great. Start today, right? I 100% agree with you. Like, I tell people, I got my first property, like, I moved in, like, on, uh, like at 33 like it wasn't you know what I mean and I'm 37 now and so sure I started later than most right but what does that even mean though what does that even mean exactly that's why I have it in air quotes because like what is later because I feel like if I had tried this any earlier I wouldn't have had the same presence of mind to in four years the things I'm considering now it probably would have taken me 10 15 14 years right it wouldn't have taken me as long so Again, going back to absorptive capacity, if you're not ready, you can't absorb it. And even at your rate of absorption, it really depends on who are you around that frequently, right? So yeah, it's important to do certain things, but your timeline is your timeline, man. Like you can't can't be using somebody else's path to compare yours. Like Mm -hmm. I agree. (laughs) 
I agree. I'd be curious to know, because we touched on it before around what's happening in the market right now. I'm curious if you can talk about that and couple it with like some of the challenges that maybe you're experiencing. Like, is there anything keeping you up at night? Yeah, girl. What's keeping me up at night is I need to buy land, bro. <laughs> I need to buy tons and tons. These are these are these are good problems. These are good problems. You see, I think as you kind of evolve, as you evolve, it's like you want to get better problems. You know? Yeah, you want. I know, I say this all the time. Listen, the key step of evolution is I cannot be having the same problems. If I'm having the same problems, then I have to move up in the world at all. <laughs> um, so let me answer that in two in two mindsets. So. From my realtor, you know, well strategist, you know, pre-con mind, I think the most important thing that keeps me up at night is not even so much the fact that prices are going up. That's a given. And honestly, I looked back at the numbers from, I believe, the 1990s, and this has been the trend. Right. It's just with every new coming of age of a certain group of people, it's new. it seems like we respin the new cycle, right? I literally saw an article um, from 1980s and they were literally saying the same thing. Forever and ever, this will be the conversation, right? There are more people in the world. There are more people coming to Canada. Land is not being created anymore. I don't care how much of land you want to reclaim from the seas. Yeah. Or just there is scarcity. That's fundamental economics. So I don't want the conversation to be stuck there. So my fear actually is that the conversation is being stuck there and people aren't using the same energy to pursue potential solutions. That's my biggest challenge. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that people understand that your parents complain about prices, you're complaining about prices, but the nature of the complaint is different. For them, it took them maybe 10 years, you know, 15 years to get in. For you, it could take you 20 years to get in to save if you, and this is not an exaggeration, yeah. if you are trying to buy a resale property and aren't considering other options, buying together, buying pre-construction, other things. like Buying together, I mean buying in groups, which is like yeah. super understated, right? Yes. Very, very understated because of this, again, perception of risk. But what is risk if A, you are able to have very open conversations and B, you have an airtight agreement? <laughs> like, that's just what it is. Um, and the funny thing is, everybody claims they want to be a real estate investor, but a necessary aspect of scaling as a real estate investor is using other people's money and partnering. So whether or not you like it, if entrepreneurship and real estate is your goal, you will have to get comfortable with some version or another of venturing, joint venturing or group buying. That's just what it is, you know? So I think that that's really what concerns me. The fact that the market is moving much faster, but Mm -hmm. people aren't getting flexible and seeing the problem, right? Um, I I think that that's really what concerns me. Uh, Of course, very, very limited inventory right now, especially because it's the top of the year. And I think just ongoing, because again, every seller does end up being a buyer (laughs) because we got to live somewhere, right? So a lot of sellers are even concerned that, okay, even if I buy now, sell now, what can I buy? Right. 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 So it's almost this year that my equity has grown, but I want to level up into maybe a different neighborhood that has grown at a different pace of what my original property that I bought is, which again, Mm -hmm. I tell people first time home buyers is that I would rather you buy a smaller property in a high price neighborhood than Mm -hmm. try and flex and get, a nice property in a property in the neighborhood that isn't growing as much. All of Ontario is growing, right? That's without a doubt. However, growth rates are different. So if you know you ever want to live in Oakville on the core of the GTA, 
sure, start buying property elsewhere, but be very cognizant that it might be a two-step process <laughs> for you, right? You might start in Niagara Falls and then use that to buy, you know, a small to mid-sized property, maybe in Toronto or something, maybe a mid-sized property in Toronto before you can really, you know, level up to that huge Bayview house that you want. And like you said, start early, start with pre-constructions. Um, start while you've just graduated, like while you're living at home, <laughs> right? Don't grad, don't, don't leave the house and then be like, ah, I'm not ready to buy. Sorry, you're late. And uh, yeah, I already said what keeps me up at night as a developer. Land mm -hmm. financing is definitely getting more challenging, mm -hmm. you know, just having to prove net worth and things like that. So yeah, yeah. And income matters. Income, income matters. Yeah, I had a whole month last year and I might do that again, but on YouTube this time where um, I'm, I'm just going to cuss just a little bit again, where I said, feel free, uh, be yourself. <laughs> six figures ain't shit. Like I went through literally it was a month, so we'd be about what, like 30, 20 or 30 pieces of content of why $100,000 does not mean anything. Right. These are, the, these, are, these are the times that we're living in. I'm curious to know before we wrap up, and I have a, like, a couple wrap up questions for you. Um, for, for someone who, okay, I want to use me as an example. For someone who yeah. got in maybe two years ago, what would you, because I know you talk also about like using, um, equity to go and, and use it for to purchase like another whether it's a pre-construction whether it's a condo whether it's a townhouse whatever what are some of the things that you would advise someone in today's market as next steps things sure. to look into sure if you already own property you know somebody like Naomi who's you know you have about two years built into the equity into this property my most important thing is always be reviewing what your options are because equity isn't real until you've actually used it right mm -hmm. it's kind of like the stock market we're sure you're going up and up and up but if you don't buy up it will come down down, down. now right. luckily real estate isn't necessarily going to come down 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 however there is a lot of opportunity cost in that other places that you might want to buy into might be going high as well right so as soon as you can or as soon as you know your your lender allows you pull out equity and buy something else, right? If really stacking properties and being able to eventually get to this place where you don't have to depend on a nine to five and work forever, and you want to have assets that will cash flow, you have to stack assets. That's just what it is. Because especially in Canada, net income isn't really the game here. Uh, you have to have a lot of properties for it to give you the kind of monthly net income that will allow you to live on the game here is really equity so as soon as your property has built up enough reserves inside it pull it out buy something else right that is smart so you can pull it out buy another pre-construction if you want to be super passive with it right if you want to start to get a little bit more active maybe you know pull it out and buy you know like a small duplex or something so that's like two units yeah. in one right yeah. so I would say just to always keep on top of the equity that's growing in your property and keep on top of the growth rates of the kinds of neighborhoods you'd like to buy in next. And then you kind of do like a matching. And of course, always remember your income, like you mentioned, because a huge factor of mortgages is a multiply effect of your income, right? Yeah. It's anywhere from three and a half to four and a half times your income based on how great your credit and all the other factors are. So I would definitely always keep that in mind just because you have property. Sure, you're better than like 90% of the people, but what are you using it for? If you're not using it, not a great way. So for me, for example, 
I pulled out almost all of the equity that I could in my condo and I bought a house in Thorough, but that's for a development project. I would not suggest that you pull out all of the equity only if basically only put out enough equity that if you want to rent the property or you would to stay in the property, but you can pay that additional because your mortgage will change. It may right. increase, it may go down, but you know, if it does increase because you're pulling out a lot of equity, just to make sure that, you know, your finances can carry you can it. Or you can it. it out. Yeah, you can afford yeah. it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and now I, I have more than one asset all from one asset. Right. And that's what is really important. So whatever you do with it, after you just keep monitoring. Right. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. You need to plug in because what you didn't mention is not just using, you know, one property to buy another one. It's using one to buy two at a time. And so if you're interested in all these things, you need to plug into Mitiette and all that she's doing out of curiosity. Are you looking into going into other markets? Um, Maybe the United States abroad? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, girl, Hmm. this Mexico trip really opened my eyes, ma'am. I can imagine. My partner, actually, she's in Atlanta and she's saying, listen, yeah, as soon as we get, you know, one or two projects under our belt here, um, we definitely need to start to look into that market because, you know, property is definitely cheaper there. Land is, but, and it's pros and cons. Here you get equity, there you get income. And so what are the different ways that we can use both, not against each other, but to create a balanced and strong portfolio, right? And then, of course, it's funny. I went to uh, Merida in Mexico in the Yucatan Peninsula and my friend came and joined me there and we we're like, girl, we could fully retire here. You know this. Right? <laughs> so, and so, and then the day I came back, I was just on Instagram and I saw Megan Dubon. She's the, she owns Blavity. That whole yeah, she runs Blavity. Yeah. Yeah. Media conglomerate. And she literally had a story of was like, Oh yeah. Uh, I'm in Costa Rica and we're literally just about to sign the titles for a land to buy um, land for rental property. So me and my friends can come and flex. Like that is wealth to me saying, Hey friends, I have this, you know, suite of, of- suite properties. Let's take four. Right. And we'll just chill. Oh. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so yeah, that, and it's, it's really, really interesting. I can't wait. I'm just like, calm yourself. Cause I listen, I will sell everything and get going on all cylinders at the same time. But this is what yeah. I mean by I'm diverse. Right. But you know, I have a son, so I got to chill a little bit um, and do one at a time. But listen, once I get that first development property done to wrap for all of you, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I know that I need to plug in with you already. It's, it's not obvious for other people who are listening. What are some things that you've, you're really curious about right now? Um, I'm really, really curious about how I can partner with other people in not just black community, but like just the broader community of people who maybe are looking to get into real estate, but can't um and it, and in different levels um my honestly sort of pinnacle of business mm-hmm. would be that i have enough people around me that have enough equity that for whatever project i'm trying to do i tap into them and not a financial institution right mm-hmm. so my my biggest curiosities right now is like where are these people like do they have 50k do they have 100k what is it that they have um, yeah. Or do they have nothing at all? And we can kind of grow together. Like those are my, that's my biggest question right now. That's sort of my biggest focus on branding and just how I'm trying to have different conversations um, with people who 
beyond first time homebuyer, beyond I have a million houses, like more, how do we build that just sort of contained, you know, wealth equity together? And we don't always have to go outside of each other because the property that I bought, I bought it through a private lender and um, they gave me like almost $400,000. It was not a bank. It was just mm. a couple, right? Mm. So like there are people doing this. So right. it's not impossible, right? So how can we get started? And then we can also do that. And I think that that can also ease, you know, some of the financing challenges that we have because in any situation where you have diversity and you have more options of things, it generally eases because, you know, there's always going to be high demand, but if supply is increasing to meet it, things just get less scarce. And um, that's sort of where my mind's at. I don't know if it answers my questions today, but... <laughs> No, that's, that's wonderful. Thanks, Michette. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing a little bit more about your world, what keeps you up at night, like what you're building as well. What's yeah. the best place for people to connect with you? Right now, it would be mutiat at mutiatbello.com. Just connect me by email and then I will sort of funnel you to all the different um, areas of that basically based on our conversation that I think would be suited for you um, because there's the equity partnerships, there's the pre-con courses. And then of course, it's just like the, you know, everyday buying and selling of real estate. So that's sort of the hub where we'll connect. And then based on what I know you need, we'll find out from there. And when my Instagram is back up, I will let you know. We'll be plugged in. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks, Mitya. Thanks for being here. And this is another episode of The Power of Why. We'll catch you in the next one. This was an episode of The Power of Why. You can find the show notes at powerofwhy.co. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms.